You're listening to the Alternative Investment Podcast. We give you the insights and strategies you need to grow your wealth with alternative investments. Now, here's your host, Andy Hagens. Welcome to the Alternative Investment Podcast. I'm Andy Hagens. And if you're interested in generating income in your portfolio, but you're sick and tired of so much market volatility, you're going to want to listen to today's episode to the very end. Joining me today is Darren Sharinga, CEO at Asymmetric ETFs. Asymmetric shares, Darren, it's both, right? Both both companies? Both companies. The the Yes, you can get to our website either through Asymm shares or Asymmetric ETFs. And that's a common thing with ETF issuers, right? There's there's one website for the ETFs and then there's another for the, the management company or? That's correct. We okay. have a third one too, asymmetricsolutions.com, which is our index <laughs> website, all of our funds track. So very complicated, but. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link to all of them in the show notes, but just, just to kind of set the table, we recently did a webinar, you know, about your family of funds about capital preservation strategies, about generating more income with less volatility. But I, I just want to start there because I, I gave the keynote at uh, OZ Pitch Day yesterday, and we were talking about why so many investors are getting into alternative investments and alternative strategies. And historically, I think this is interesting. Historically, I always gave three reasons. I said, reason number one, alternatives are great, You know, higher returns. Number two, less volatility. Number three, tax advantages. I flipped it yesterday. I said, you know what? The number one reason is less volatility. That's what I hear over and over from family offices and investors. They're sick and tired of the volatility. Is that was that really the genesis or the 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 concept that led to you creating this strategy, this family of ETFs? Absolutely, Andy. The a couple of things for us when when you look at volatility, and it's your, it relates to your three points as well. Lower volatility is actually leads to better returns, and I think a lot of people miss that when they get involved in investing. And the fact that a lot of people understand, well, if you don't lose 50% of your money, then you don't need to make 100%. So that makes sense to me, but it's actually more than that. It's if you don't lose, if you can maintain your capital base, so preservation of capital across bull and bear markets, and you can then incrementally add to that positive returns every year, they don't need to be 20, 30% positive returns over time when they're consistent to get to a place at the end of a, an investment horizon, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, which is or more, which is what we're all investing, where you actually have won, which means winning and investing, you've generated more wealth over that period of time with less volatility. So it's truly a win-win. It's like you have lower volatility, which is 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 what everyone's looking for in investing without yeah. sacrificing the returns. So that is, that's, that's just something that's so fundamental to us. And I, and I did mention, I mentioned it often when you ask Albert Einstein, what's the eighth wonder of the world, it's compounding rates of return, which is exactly mm -hmm. what I'm describing right there. Yeah. And you, okay. So you mentioned, you know, the mathematical concept and I won't try and state it precisely because I'm sure I'll screw it up. But you know, when you, have a 50% drawdown, you need that 100% climb back up to get back to even. If there's a 30% drawdown, then uh, I can't do that math, but whatever, 50, 60%, you know, 
So the idea is it, it, you know, in some ways it's more important to limit the downside than it is to, to have the upside, right? Like mathematically, but I think more importantly, psychologically, because, you know, let's take the, the public markets and the S and P and everyone, you know, I, I remember studying finance in college, you know, back in my glory days, at the university of Notre Dame, where Jimmy and I were taking finance classes together. Um, and, there was this idea of a historical rate of return for the S&P, except most investors, the typical investor lacks that return by quite a bit because of behavioral mistakes, not just because of fees, but because they tend to you know, buy high and sell low. So it's like human beings are not computers, right? We're not robots that invest like robots. We invest like human beings. We have behavioral biases. We make behavioral mistakes. And volatility, I think mentally and behaviorally really brings out the worst in people. I know it brings out the worst in me. Well, it's it, 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 it's interesting. When you look at asymmetric as a return profile, what you're ultimately doing is you're skewing the returns to the right. So you're cutting off your negative returns and, and, and skewing your normal return distribution to the right. So that's, again, a mathematical example. But if you look at behavioral investing, there's an, there's an asymmetric payoff too. Psychologically, the pain, the, the, the pleasure of gains, let me start there. The pleasure of gains is, is much less than the pain of losses psychologically. And, and, I would back that statement up with this is if you ask an advisor when they're getting most of their client calls, it's not when they're doing well and the market's going up, their portfolios are appreciating. It's when we're in markets like today, when volatility has spiked, when portfolio values are going down and people are fearful of losing their nest egg, which they spent their entire life amassing and they and especially as you move into retirement you, you don't have the earning capability to to get it back you have to protect that nest egg totally yeah and and to add on to it and i'll I'll avoid making this a political rant but it's one thing you know i remember reading the ben graham's books and it's it was manic mr market right that mr market kind of he's too exuberant and then he's swings the other way and he's uh, too worried. And so, you know, the market kind of overcorrects in one direction, overcorrects in the other. So if you're going to be in the liquid markets and the public markets, you're going to kind of go for a ride and you go for that roller coaster ride. And, and to be clear, you know, I have money in normal stock, long only stock funds. So it's not like I'm all alternatives or anything like that. But one of the things that increasingly is bothering me is I don't feel like, you know, in the public markets, I'm really dealing with Mr. Market anymore and the volatility of Mr. Market. I feel like the volatility in that roller coaster ride is being manipulated, whether it's being manipulated by in Washington, D.C., by the government or international situations or easy money, you know, zero interest rate policy for for however long bond prices, stock market prices, real estate prices, but especially in those public markets. And it's just like, I'm just, I'm tired of it. You know, I want to, I want to invest in something that's not constantly like a whipsaw being manipulated up and then down and then up and then down. It's it's just like exhausting. And I think that's a big appeal of alternative strategies as much as anything. It's just investors are just sick and tired of it. I don't disagree. I, and, and as you and I were talking earlier, 
is that the reason you want to look at alternatives is, is not just to mitigate volatility, because that's one of the questions that guests ask me all the time. Well, if I, if I mitigate the downside risk, do I capture any of the upside? And it's yes, you do, but it's a different path of, of getting there. And it's actually a path you would prefer because fundamentally, if, if, if what we're designing our strategies to do, our, and we call them our smart strategies or smart solutions at asymmetric ETFs, is they're, they're designed to produce market returns with a fraction of the risk. Well, what I've just said there is the holy grail of investing. You're getting the same returns with less risk. And in investing, that that's that's always preferable. If I if you can give me the same returns with a lower risk profile, I want it. And and uh, otherwise, you are the type of investor that wants lower returns with greater risk. And uh, I, I've not ever met an investor that's looking for that. So, so the, the, the this this different path to to where you're going for, you're not giving up anything. You have to rethink it and and rethink your your investment philosophy because it's now decouple yourself from the market and, and as an investor what really matters to you and i think there's and i simplify things uh, there's two stages to investing it's the amassing stage you're moving towards your your retirement and, and as an individual then you need to amass enough wealth so that you can retire and, and, and live off your assets for the remainder of your life and the second stage is your retirement stage when you're actually living off your assets and, and your assets are your productive asset now Versus your job, and so then you need to ensure that you don't outlive those assets, and so that that produces even probably greater problems for investors because, especially today, we're, we're now have inflation again, mm-hmm. and so inflation erodes purchasing power. If you started to see, and I'm I'm not going to make any uh, predictions on where inflation is going, but again, it, it clearly invades it it, it erodes purchasing power because if you go back 10 20 30 years look at the price of homes look at the, it's a great example and and right. and how they've appreciated so you need your assets to continue to at a minimum outpace inflation as you you're you're in retirement or else your purchasing power is going to go down even if you don't lose any principal value so it's a tougher it's it's a tougher equation now it's not just yeah, okay, Darren yeah Darren that the whole inflation thing that kind of gets back to I'm tired of the manipulation because it's like so much of this inflation baked in right now is because of policy mistakes and because of too much easy money and overspending and, you know, stuff that happened two or three years ago, mistakes may be made at the top now kind of, you know, regurgitating or whatever, working its way through the system. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so hopefully it's, you know, it's starting to roll over. It looks like, I don't know if it's ever going back down to 2%. We'll see. Um, but you know, it looks like it's starting to moderate a little bit, but, but again, it's just like you, if you just put all your money in the public markets with long only instruments, you're going to go for a ride. And then depending whether you're in the stock market or in the bond market, not only are you going for that ride, but you're, you're looking at, you know, in many cases, the purchasing power of that erode these of policy decisions. And that's really frustrating for me because then that starts to feel like, more like the game is rigged. And you know, one other point that you made about capital preservation and your focus on capital preservation, that's really interesting to me because, you know, speaking with so many family offices on this show, and you know, once you get to that level of, you know, the ultra wealthy and, you know, running a family, that's their number one goal for their portfolios for most family offices is capital preservation. You know, because like they 
worked hard. Maybe they built a business and that's a lot of work. Whether you're ultra high net worth or you're just getting started, I mean, this represents a lifetime of savings. So I think it's it's the 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 focus on capital preservation, I think, is very underrated. The when I look at capital preservation, and, and so are you, I, I really didn't answer your first question. What founded our, our philosophy? And yeah. um, going back to that was we look at risk at asymmetric on an absolute basis, and so our primary concern is is how much money has this strategy lost in the past? How much money has this manager lost in the past? And and when you ask that question of any manager. Wait, so you ask that before you look at returns? Yes. You look at losses yes. first. Okay. Look at that first because- You just blew my it, mind. I mean, this should be obvious, Darren, but you still just sort of blew my mind. Okay. Look at that first because because <laughs> yeah. the returns are so easy and, and greed sets in and we all want bigger yeah. returns because we know we're going to get richer by, by bigger yeah. returns. But the point is, what's my risk? And, and, and risk needs to come to the forefront of investors thinking. It's how much can I lose here? And really, whether it's an institution, I spent most of my life as an institutional manager. I'm actually bringing the, 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 the technology, the powers, our suite of, of smart solutions or ETFs came from one of the largest institutional hedge fund seeds. And I've taken that technology, it's quantitatively based, or removes the human element of fear and greed from it. And, and it's, is again, a, a disciplined, repeatable process. Well, so, sorry to hold there for just yeah. a sec. So I was talking about family offices before and their focus on capital preservation. And then you mentioned you had a background institutional investing family offices, institutions, they're focused on capital preservation. They oftentimes are using hedge funds, right? So, I mean, this, this, this kind of your background is you're seeing larger investors, more sophisticated investors use these kind of alternative strategies to preserve capital. And, and, and then you kind of, you're saying to yourself, why isn't this available to individual investors? Was that kind of the, the thought process that led to asymmetric? Very much so. And, and because institutional investors have for decades now had access to, to asymmetric return producing products, products that are focused on capital preservation. But so what are those? What are, you know, break it down for me. What? So, so, so hedge funds are, are, are one, private equity is another. So anything, private debt, when you, when you start to get outside the public markets, real estate becomes a, an other Things where small investors, because they weren't accredited in, in investors, had yeah. been precluded from gaining access to these type of financial solutions. And so they just had basically antiquated tools, stocks and bonds to, to develop and manage portfolio risk. And if you look at the way that most retail portfolios are structured today, it, it's still the 60-40. That was the big talk with, when, when interest rates went to zero and then it became bigger talk when when actually treasuries sunk by 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 mid-teens and into the 20s in 2022 because interest rates went up and bonds went down which is what happens and so but but if you look at institutional portfolios the the amount of of public equities in there is shrinking because the amount of of alternatives asymmetric return producing investments is, is growing because it's a superior investment product. It, it They're uncorrelated to each other, which the problem again with- Or at least, well, let's say less correlated. Less right? correlated. Yeah, I agree. Because a lot of, sometimes they don't work either. So, so you know, not all strategies do, but but less correlated. And, and so that was, 
it's it's tools that investors need and advisors need today on a retail level. They're antiquated. I mean, stocks and bonds, they've been around since what? The Netherlands, 1600s. Yeah, yeah. And I I have stocks and bonds in my portfolio. I'm, you know, I'm host of the Alternative Investment Podcast. So like, I believe in a balanced portfolio, you know, kind of an all weather portfolio kind of a thing. But what's interesting to me, you're talking about alternatives and asymmetric products being used by institutional investors and family offices, you know, ultra wealthy or institutional type investors. But then it's one specific, is it one specific strategy that you're using with your ETFs, right? Because there's all there's all kinds of oh, different sure. there's all kinds of different hedge funds, right? There's like whatever, five or six different categories, subcategories. So w- what led you to focus in on one particular alternative strategy? Sure. Okay. So life experience for me, it's very true. I, I, everything I've learned in life has come with a a price tag and generally it's a higher price than I ever wanted to pay. And, and so in investing, I, 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 I lost money and I, and I lose clients in, in losing money. So when I developed these, this technology, it had one main investment objective and that was, can we provide a a systematic approach to limiting losses in a portfolio, nothing else. And, and, and if, if that's all we can do, it's not going to be good enough because you could be in cash, right? But so if we, but if we, if we can't limit losses, then we don't have anything. So can we limit losses and still then provide upside participation in a portfolio that will ultimately produce market returns with a fraction of the risk by, by limiting again, losses or, or, or downside. So limiting volatility. So and that sounds that sounds like a hedge fund to me. You know, it is, and, and, okay. and so and so. But the the basis of of our hedge funds, so the way we manage risk, is we 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 ultimately dynamically manage net exposure in the portfolio. And 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 and. and but that's not what's key to our technology, because anyone can do that. You can be net long. You can be net short. Right on a hedge fund. What we're doing in our technologies, where our technology accurately measures market risk. And so that's a big statement, because if you know whether you're in a bull market or a bear market. Then if you have the ability to change your net exposure in a bull market, you want to be net long to capture the majority of the upside. In fact, you'd like leverage. If you're absolutely certain you're in a bull market, leverage would be great because you're going to get alpha. You're going to get multiples of the return of the market. And then in a, a bear market, if you're absolutely certain you're in a bear market and the market is dropping, then you'd want to be net short because you so have this, yeah, to profit. This, this sounds to me like... Um trend following or almost uh, akin, you know, to like managed futures or like some sort of strategy that is technology algorithm based, just kind of uh, judging whether the market is on an uptrend or a downtrend. Is it, is that, that based? That's it. And so that, that aspect is, is trend following nature. So what we're doing here, what, what again, differentiates us is, is that our technology, I spent years and, and, and a lot of money trying to come up with a way of predicting the market, right? At hedge funds always, what's your edge? What's your edge? What's your edge? You know, my, my edge was a John Bogle moment. And John Bogle was, Tyrrellier comment, did a study, found out most active managers do not outperform the index. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the best you can do is index performance and pay lower fees because 80% of the people would be better off with that. So our John Bogle moment at Asymmetric was, it's impossible to predict where the market's going. So don't even try. Why is it impossible? Well, mathematically, correlations change over short periods of time. 
And so if a correlation is changed, then then your algorithm is wrong. You're, you're, you're accounting for something that no longer exists. The, the relationships change. But even more common sense, black swan events exist. And mm-hmm. if you're unaware of something philosophically, it doesn't matter what it is, you can't plan for it. And so the same way with an algorithm, if, if there's if there's unknown information that your algorithm's not capturing, you're, you're going to be wrong or you're going to be lucky and you're going to be right. But either way, you're lucky. And so what we're doing is, let me just grab a sip of water. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about trend following and that's very, you know, based on, uh, I don't know, market internals, technical data. The black swan feels like something different, right? That that makes me think of hedge funds in 2008 and 2009, right? And a few of them performed spectacularly and, and a lot of them got creamed as far as I know, right? Just totally hammered. Okay. So the way we avoid that, because that, that those are the those are the right questions again, which go back to the question of of how much did you lose? Mm-hmm. So so cut through all of the marketing noise. How much did you lose? That's that, that's my risk now of your fund. Yeah. Or your strategy. And and now flip over. Well, well, how are you going to prevent it? So how does asymmetric risk management technology, which is what we call our technology, avoid that? And our John Bogle moment, it, we look at the movement of the market. How do we make money as investors? We make money in the market. So back to trend following. Don't try to predict the market. But with a high degree of accuracy, our technology can tell us where we are currently. And that's the benefits. We, we use two price-based signals to identify where we are. Once technical, that's absolutely trend following. So we're, we're looking at a, a simple 200-day moving average on on uh, of whatever market we're managing risk in. We want to know if it's above the 200-day moving average, that market's trending up. So that's that, that that's one bull market sign. If it's below the 200-day moving average, that, that market's trending down. That's one bear market sign. And then the other price movement we look at is we look at the underlying securities within that market. We've developed our own measure of realized volatility. So realized of all is, is looking at the price movement of the underlying securities and 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 measuring what their dispersion is. And so what you see with realized volatility is number one, it's always accurate because it's it's measuring actual price movements versus trying to predict where the market's going to get to go like like implied volatility through VIX and it could be right or wrong. But we know when you measure quantitatively or statistically what the dispersion is of, 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 of returns within a market, it's right. Now, so we look at that. The, 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 we look for a market in, in a bull market is the market's trending up above the 200-day moving average and volatility is low. So it's, I mean, yeah. bear with me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of a, a person who you know, sometimes with pure math, I have a hard time. So I use metaphors to get stuff straight in my head. So bear with me. But trend following is almost like a 2D type of thing. You know, it's, you know, simple in a good way, I think, some trend following systems in the sense that they're disciplined. They're just an algorithm. Is the market going up? Is it going down 200-day moving average? But what you're talking about is almost like three-dimensional. You're looking at the, the realized volatility of the individual securities within the index so it's adding it's almost adding more context or depth to to the trend following it is yeah it's it's taking it to the next level it's saying okay this is uh, we we make money in the market so every investor would like to be net long for, through the entirety of a bull market and net short through the entirety of a bear market so that's trend following mm-hmm. and then and then 
we don't want to get whipsawed because you described it earlier, a retail investor, fear and greed, emotional driven investing. You're going to get in when it's too late. It's like, I, I'm missing it all and I got to get in now. But at that point, you should have got in when 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 there's still blood in the streets, right? Everything was beaten yeah. up. That's the time you want to be buying when assets are really cheap. Be fearful when others are greedy, greedy when others are fearful. And and, and so if you've missed does that, that- Does that work against the trend following though? Because- it, that, uh, it, 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 trend following, the, the weakness of trend following. So it, is you're never going to get the top and the bottom because the market's got to turn over, okay. right? It, it's going to turn up or turn over. So what we're looking for- is is long term signals. This isn't a day trading strategy. It, it, it's it's a long term buy and hold vehicle, and, and what it's looking to do. Asymmetric risk management technology has captured the majority. Again, we want to be net long the entirety of a bull market, and we don't want to get whipsawed on any given month. It's rebalanced on a monthly basis. It was rebalanced on a monthly basis. It's an institutional product. It's rebalanced. It's the same technology. It's rebalanced in an ETF form, and so so we need to pick up long term trends because volatility on a daily basis, weekly basis, you're going to get whipsawed, especially in these markets. They're terrible, right? Yeah. Now, Darren is, so this is in, this strategy is being uh, employed or wrapped in ETFs. Was there something similar in the illiquid, uh, like hedge fund world previously? Did this kind of system already exist for institutionals? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned earlier here, the asymmetric risk management technology was behind a quarter of a billion dollar hedge fund seed. And so it was one of the largest hedge fund seeds in 2016. And uh, it was an organization, PAMCO, Pacific Alternative Asset Management Co. They're a fund of hedge funds, spent a year analyzing the technology and uh, and a year in the, the, the liquid alt space. At that point, it was an algorithm and back-tested data that they looked at. And no one gets a hedge fund seed based on back-tested data because the, the theory is anyone can make a back-test look good. And it's true if you- Yeah, I'll just run a thousand simulations until yes. I find, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you torture the data enough, it yeah. will confess, you know, it'll give you what sure. you're looking for, right? <laughs> and, and so, but but ours was systematic and it's like, here, here's systematically, it's applied to this this index and it and it's looking at, at the at the trend following, the, the, the technical movement of the index and the underlying um, volatility of the index. And you can apply and we apply it to different scenarios. We apply it to different indexes. And, and, and so we took the technology to see how robust it was. And, and we, we started with an energy application. And we took it, I asked one of my analysts, can we apply it to the S&P 500? And then what about the, the NASDAQ? And does it produce asymmetric returns? Does it provide protection on the downside? Does it capture the majority of the upside? So you're getting that same market returns with a fraction of the risk. And the answer was yes. So, so this institution, after a year of doing their due diligence, said, Darren, we love it. What you said, it, it actually does, which we call that fund integrity. It's so, so unique yeah. these days. Someone actually delivers what they say they're going to do. And it's an elegant solution. It makes sense to us. It's not complicated. Like you said, there's, there's, there's a, 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 an easiness to understand. And we're not trying to hide it in a black box. We're very transparent. Look at our website. We publish on a monthly basis. Here's, here's what our, our signals are telling us. You can look at the levels. Based on these signals, here's the way the portfolio is positioned. So we always want you to have the tools so that you understand what's going on within any of our fund products. Transparency is, is so important to us for, for a number of different reasons. It, it, you're not always right. Technologies aren't always right. Remember, the technology, the benefit of, of, of looking at price movements, you're always right right now, but it doesn't tell you tomorrow. So if the Fed does something tomorrow that changes, cuts interest rates, raises interest rates, it causes the market to go up or down and you're on the wrong side of it, you're going to be 
the portfolio will be incorrectly positioned for a short period of time until the signals at the end of the month corrected. So you want to be communicative. Nothing will always work, but but it's the disciplined approach, the disciplined, repeatable process of of, of this all algor- algor- algorithm that enables us to to get the results over time that we're looking for again because it's price movements in the market. Yeah, and and, and yeah. For any alternative strategy or for a hedge fund, you know, at least what I'm looking at is a full market cycle, right? So there's going to be weeks of underperformance, overperformance. You know, typically these strategies, you really need to see peak to trough or, you know, over a period of time. So you have this technology that you're using. Is the technology creating an index that the funds follow, or is it the technology providing the information that you need to like actively manage a fund? I guess I'm asking: are these are these passively managed ETFs, or are they actively managed ETFs? So, so they're they're the technology is baked into an index. So the 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 funds follow an index that's powered by asymmetric risk management technology. So the the tech. Knowledge on a monthly basis is applied to the S and P five hundred or or different asset classes. The portfolios, are, the indexes are rebalanced, and then the portfolios are rebalanced to match the index exposure. So they okay. So so when you we, when you say you're communicating, which I I love by the, I mean I think that's in today's world, I think that's a must. You know, for for asset managers, the. I mean, one thing I like with an index product like this, an alternative strategy, it's like the 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 index or the algorithm's not going to have feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think that can be good, right? Because we were talking about behavioral biases. So when you're communicating what the technology is doing, that's almost just just communicating. You know, you're not necessarily making those decisions day to day. It's more the technology is acting in a certain way because it's designed a certain way. And you're communicating it might be doing this because of whatever external event, you know, the the bank run on Silicon Valley Bank or or, or whatever. Um, is is that basically what you mean by by the communications? That's 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 attribution analysis. So if if it performed, if it underperformed, why did it underperform? And, and so by knowing the way the portfolio was positioned, that's going a long way to determining why. It did what it did, and, and being positioned like that, did it do what you expected it to do in in three risk environments: risk on, risk elevated, risk off, bull, uncertain market, or bear market? And so these are all to us accountability proof statements of did it work? Did it do what it was supposed to do? Even if it was incorrectly positioned, it's, it said we're in a bull market, but it was a bear market. Did did it did it go? Did it do what it was meant to do? And 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 so if it's if it's positioned for a bear market, it should go down. And if the market goes down, the portfolio should go up. Mm-hmm. So if 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 you actually position for a bear market and the market went up, did the portfolio actually go down proportionally to the market, which you'd expect? Because right? because oftentimes things don't do what they're supposed to do. Investment solutions don't so do that's what a double problem. Do. It's like right? the yeah, that's that's a second order yeah. problem. It's like maybe. Maybe the strategy wasn't good in the first place, you know, in some cases with hedge funds, but also did the hedge fund even do the strategy it was supposed to do, to your point? So let, let's actually get into some of these specific funds, though. So I, I, you know, I think I get the concept of the technology. I understand its appeal because, you know, these kinds of alternative strategies are things that big investors have been using for years. And finally, they're being wrapped in ETFs and available to retail investors, which I think is awesome. 
Yeah. You know, you have to cheerlead for the little guy, right? I love that accessibility. But why don't we start with a spy? So this is the a sim shares asymmetric S and P five hundred ETF. Was this your first ETF? That was the first ETF. Okay, it was yeah. And so, Andy, that falls under our our, our smart equity category. And and why is it smart? Because it's designed to generate market returns with a fraction of the risk, and that makes it smart. Again, market returns with a fraction of the risk, and 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 so a spy is is based on the S and P five hundred. So our asymmetric risk management technology is measuring the is measuring the risk profile of the S and P five hundred in real time, and. At the end of every month, we look at the two signals and we say, okay, so our price momentum indicator, the technical indicator, 200-day moving average, is it risk on or risk off above or below? And, and then the second signal, our, our price volatility indicator, which is our, our, our proprietary measurement of realized volatility, is it high or low? And so when they both are either risk off, you know, broken down market with high volatility, Probability is we're in a bear market. High probability we're in a bear market because those two conditions historically have come together when we're in bear markets. And if the market's trending up and balls low, we're in a bull market. Those conditions historically have come together when we're in a bull market. So once our technology is effectively and accurately measured the current market risk environment, then the second question is, well, how do you manage risk? So measure, monitor, and then manage risk. Well, manage this risk by changing that exposure. So relative to the S&P 500, so in a, in a bull market, we want to capture the majority of the upside. So the portfolio is going to be 100% long, the S&P 500. In fact, it's going to be 100% long, min vol constituents of the S&P 500. So it actually adds another component, min volatility to the portfolio. And the reason why we do that in, in the portfolio is because we view ASPY as a, a core holding, a core equity holding. It, it, it's the slow and steady within your portfolio. It's designed to generate equity returns with a fraction of the risk to keep you, again, on target, whether you're moving towards retirement and, and amassing the wealth you need, or you're in retirement and you don't want to outlive your, your assets and you need to, again, preserve the purchasing power. So this, if, if, if ASPY produces equity returns across bull and bear markets, slow and steady, wins the race, make it a core equity holding, and then build your portfolio around that. So part of that is MinVol. We, we, want, we don't want to disappoint investors. So by, by offering MinVol exposure on our long book, it's adding to accomplishing our investment objectives. Market returns with less risk. MinVol, MinVol in and of itself achieves that. Then, so that's, that's our long exposure. Our short exposure ultimately is our, our hedge or our insurance. We don't use derivatives. There's, there's a lot of different types of strategies out there now. Structured notes, ultimately, they were retail products that were repackaged into exchange-traded products and, and um, use option-based strategies. We, we don't use options, so we're, we're managing net exposure. So our short exposure, which is, which are, which is our hedge or our protection, um, is we actually short, in this case, the S&P 500. Because if we get our signals right and, and asymmetric risk management technology is correct in identifying a bear market and the portfolio then is, is short the market, what's going to happen? Well, the market's going down and we're short the, the market, portfolio is going to go up. So it's going to give us the outcome we're looking for versus in, in, in other uh, long short strategies where managers are trying to generate alpha on long and short books, you may or may not be right. You may be in high alpha stocks, you may be in low alpha stocks, you may be in the wrong sector. Oh, I see. Right? I see. 
for us, it's like, this is insurance. It's like, it's not insurance, but you know, it's the principle. We want to make sure that. Yeah. So you're not, you're not picking stocks then, you know, like a long short fund where you basically need to divide up the S and P into good and bad. This is more holistic and looking at the the market organism as a whole and and hedging based on that. Yeah, I I get it. Well then let's, I want to ask about Z-SPY. So this is the smart alpha S&P 500 ETF. So what's the difference between Z-SPY and A-SPY? What, what is Z, how does Z-SPY work? So, so Z-SPY falls under our, our smart alpha um, series of ETFs. And, and smart alpha, what makes it smart is, is greater upside with a similar risk profile. Right? So greater upside with the same risk. Well, that's a good, that's a good risk return. And so what Z-SPY is doing, and I, I mentioned it earlier in our conversation, is that if you're right in identifying a bull market, that would be the time you want to add leverage mm. because you're going to get more of what you're looking for. You're going to get more upside. So volatility, asymmetric risk management technology, volatility in the S&P 500 is low. The market's trending up. At that point, instead of just being 100% long the market, ZSPY will actually add leverage to the long book. So now it, it adds another 100% leverage. So it's 200 percent long the market. It's not designed to pick up 2x the upside of the S&P 500. So, so Z-SPY is very different from a portfolio perspective. It, it's, it's a new take on alpha. And, and managers today, investors today have, have you know, a few choices, choices for alpha. They can pick the stocks themselves and, and hope they do well, manage risk themselves and hope they do well. They can look for active managers and hope they do well and their strategies work. They can try to be in the right asset classes or the right sectors. All of these have risks. You're either going to be right or you're going to be wrong. And you're either going to generate offer or you're not based on, on, on whether all of these factors come together. And there's a number of variables there. With us, it's quite simply, if, if the market is trending up and we add leverage, you're going to, this product is going to deliver exactly what it's designed to do. It's going to deliver a multiple of the market. And, and so in this case, for ZSPY, wow. we actually are along the S&P 500. Because again, managing expectations, if we're if it's going to give 2x the returns of the S&P 500, investors are looking at it as an alternative source of alpha, a more consistent source of alpha, then we want it to, if the S&P is up 10%, we want it to be up 20% to that it actually achieves its goal. So two things that make ZSPY unique. One is over traditional leverage product, it offers, addresses the, the, the weakness of traditional leverage products, which are leveraged daily returns, because they use all derivatives, most of them. So, so the... So if the market's up 10% on any given day, you're up 20% and then it drops the next day and then it goes up and down. You're not going to replicate over a period of, of a year. Um, well, those, yeah, are those made, those kind of products are made for traders, right? Traders. Yeah. And this is not a trading product. This is a buy and hold product that you're going to get period return. So if you held ZSPY for, for, for 10 years and, 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 and it stayed risk on for 10 years, the market was up, you know, 10x, you'd expect ZSPY to be up 20x. Well, I, I like that. And yeah. I think that, you know, that kind of points to the evolution in the ETF space. It was like first wave, second wave of ETFs. You'd have all these long only ETFs, you know, very big, broad asset classes, you know, SPY, VTI, LQD, you know, just all these kind of big, and, and they're fine. They're good products. And then, you know, I remember uh, like direction. They had all these different products and, and the direction products were great. It's just like, you got to know what their specific use is. And for most people, you know, they didn't have any, they, they shouldn't have direction ETFs in their portfolio, like a 2X or 3X 
ETF because like this is meant for traders. They're using it very specific ways. And so it was like you had these short-term ETFs for traders. You had these long-term ETFs. Now it's evolved. And I just like that there's way more on the menu. There's way more uh, options on the menu. Products like yours that are bringing some of this leverage and some of these alternative assets to buy and hold investors, you know, who may not want to be long only. Uh, they want to, you know, use alternative strategies, use some leverage, but that, but they, they don't have any reason, you know, they, they shouldn't be buying those direction ETFs or those those ETFs that are meant for traders. So, I just, for me, it's fascinating because I started, you know, in the financial media space. I started in 2009, 2010, and just, you know, checking in on the ETF landscape 15 years later it's a whole different world very much so yeah this is it, the the etfs are winning you know they because it's a it's a killer app it's a superior solution liquidity transparency lower fees and tax efficiency for any one of those you pay a premium and and but in an etf you actually get them at a discount so there's a reason why etfs are growing and and uh and and mutual funds are shrinking and and when you look at our our strategy because ultimately they're hedge strategies or hedge fund strategies the the ETF is actually superior to commingled funds or commingled funds because what it does is it's tax efficiency the, the ETF structure the creation and redemption process we don't need to sell gains and realize gains in, in our in our portfolio, right? In in our accounts. And so we don't we can get rid of gains and, and they're not a taxable event. So if you look at ASPY, which has now gone through two tax seasons in an ETF form, no capital gains uh, or or in the first year, no capital gains in the second year. So for family offices, taxes are extremely important in the overall and, and hedge funds are extremely tax inefficient. So in and of itself, the fact that ASPY is able to offer hedge fund returns in a tax efficient structure, that's a game changer, right? That is a, 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 a tremendous game changer. And then ZSpy now, you you look at it and you're you're taking a brand new take on leverage. It, it's it's more of what investors are looking for. That's a buy and hold leverage. So investors want more leverage on the upside. They don't want leverage in both directions, which is trading leverage. Right, right. They want more on the upside. And so so yeah, and I don't want daily leverage. You know, I'm looking to, to enhance long term returns because I need alpha in my portfolio. I need something that's going to give me that growth. Right. That, that's going to give this portion of my assets that ability to outpace inflation without getting way over my risk skis where all of a sudden I can lose 80% of my money. That's mm -hmm. that, that I'm not interested in losing 80% of my money, but I'd like to pick up some alpha on yeah. the upside and have something in my portfolio. So, so ZSpy is, is, is a satellite position. ASPY is a core position, core equity. ZSpy is, is like all alpha pr producing positions. It should be a smaller percentage of your overall portfolio. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah. And I, I like that you're using the same technology, but with these different funds, they, they can occupy different slices of a portfolio. I know we're running short on time, but I wanted to ask about MORE more, the smart income ETF as well. So there's one other ETF in your ETF family, right? Sure. So, so more is, is, is part of our smart income solutions. Why is it smart? Because it offers more income with less risk. And, and so income investing, it, it, and again, powered by asymmetric risk management technology. So in this case, it's a little different structure than ASPY and CSPY, which are both based on the S&P 500. Uh, more is looking to generate 
not only high income, but high quality income. Because again, one of my life lessons as an investor is that income in and of itself and, and more specifically high income is, is really of no value if, if I can lose 50% or more of my principal value. It takes too long to recoup it. So, so again, you, probably even more importantly in, in income investing, you need to preserve your principal value. So pretty hard to do when inflation is uh, 6% and yields are 3%. I mean- Absolutely, you're upside down already. So, yeah. so what 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 Moore is doing now is looking at alternative sources of income. So, it's looking at three different asset classes: MLP, so U.S. Energy Infrastructure or Energy Infrastructure. It's looking at REITs, and then it's looking at utilities. And it says, okay, the same technology. It's it's looking at the three asset classes. Are they in what what what's their current risk environment? Are they in a bull or a bear market? And if and those three asset classes that you mentioned, those are inherently going to track better with inflation over the long term. I would, I would think like REITs, uh, you know, MLPs. So that that already it's it feels like a little bit, you know, different risk than bonds. But my point with with if you're buying bonds and you're already upside down before you even get to anything else, you're already negative three percent purchasing power. It's like. I'm, I'm already trying to minimize my exposure to bonds, period. I'm looking for other forms of income, right? So this is really interesting to me that you have an income product that is not based on bonds at all, you know? Right. And, and, and then you go back to those questions. Well, what's your maximum drawdown? So understand what the risk parameters of of, of, of the investment solution are. And, the, and, and so what the technology is doing in the portfolio is if... It's 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 again measuring market risk, and if if one of these asset classes drop into a bear market, so risk rises, the portfolio moves out of that asset class because we want to preserve principal and into the other asset classes. Now, another one drops off, or, or all three drop off, then the portfolio, because the technology is smart, it says, all right, this is an income producing strategy, but we're we're not just looking for high income; we want high income that's secure. So can we go to fixed income now? How do treasuries look? Are treasuries in a bull market? Because traditionally you have an inverse relationship between stocks and bonds. And, and so then it would look to 30-year, 10-year, 90-day uh, T-bills and says, well, are, are any of these in a bull market? Oh, so I see. So it's tactically changing between these different asset classes that all yield significant income, but it's doing that tactically with like a similar similar technology, similar kind of algorithm following trends market internals that's really interesting wow and then at the forefront of it all or behind it all is this focus on capital preservation because as you said you don't just want five percent income is no good if there's 25 percent market drawdown what good you know what good is the five percent yield right you just you gave it all back times four times five correct and and so the the beauty of, of of asymmetric etfs is that they're all powered by asymmetric risk management technology. So it's a technology that's been institutionally vetted and proven behind one of the largest hedge fund C's, brought down to individual investors. It, it, it works in the indexes. You can see that on asymsolutions.com. Look at historical performance there. It's worked since going live. Uh, worked in the hedge fund. Now it's working in, in ASPY in 2020 when it was launched. It was one of the strongest bull markets of the last decade. Captured 81% of the upside. Then we flip over into, I was 2021, then 2022, you, you hit a bear market. Um, 
cut losses in greater than half, you put the two together and it's doing exactly what it should be over a very small period of time, right? A couple of years, it's giving market returns with a fraction of the risk. In fact, and, and Darren, are you seeing with even just with that track record? I mean, I feel like there was like self-contained bull and bear market just in the last two years. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that even just having that track record and people kind of see, here's what it did this year, here's what it did the next year, does that help get investors more comfortable with you know an alternative strategy? Absolutely. It's a proof statement, correct? It, it, they Hopefully you understand two price-based signals, 200-day moving average, technical look, trend following. Second one, price movement of the underlying securities. It, it, has vol spiked? Is the market broken down or trending up? Those two things, the price movements of the market, easy to understand. Once you know that, you know what the risk profile of the market looks like. And then the final stage, measure, monitor, manage risk. The, then the portfolio, the algorithm decides what the risk parameters should be the exposures of the portfolio to capture bull market upside or provide protection against a bear market downside. So it's always the same. So if it's worked at one, the same technology is applied to another asset class with these two parameters. Conceptually, it makes sense. So it, it, it does. It does, Darren. No. I, I, I got to say, to me, it's just cool. It's It's inspiring and it's fun that you could have done all this in a hedge fund with a two million or five million or whatever a minimum investment and made it available only to institutional investors. And instead, you know, you built asymmetric shares, asymmetric ETFs, and you launch these strategies in an ETF wrapper. And I mean that's the change from 2021, 2020, you know, the current era versus 20, 30 years ago. It's just so cool. It's so gratifying to see that, you know, that that's that's how you decided to package the strategy. It, it, and Andy, it's better for investors too. That you, you get the tax efficiency. So whether it's an individual or a family office, you have a better solution. So for me- Yeah, that's a good point. It does yeah. just because it's an ETF doesn't mean it has to be small investors, right? No. Uh, institutionals are buying ETFs too. Family offices are buying ETFs. So you get liquidity, you you don't have a lockup, it's lower fees. And then, and then so so we are helping the little guy, but if you look at our strategies too, like so people want to understand motivation. I think it's another good thing. After you understand the draw to understand why someone's doing something. And these are high capacity strategies. I mean, we can manage tens of billions of dollars. So we're not gated. Our first one, A spy and Z spy are, are on the SP 500, the most liquid. Equity asset class is a hundred million dollar trade in ACE by one percent of average daily value traded of the underlying. So these funds, I asked our two prime brokers at J.P. Morgan and, and uh, UBS, and, and they came back said, "How much could we manage in this this in ACE by before we would affect liquidity in the market?" They came back with two numbers. They were five billion apart. The midpoint was forty billion. So these are these are large capacity strategies. If, if investors pick up on them, if the performance continues to do what it's done historically, it's doing currently, and will do going forward. Well, you know, I, I envision us being one of the, the have the potential of being one of the largest hedge funds in the world, but offering it through this 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 brand new wrapper, better for investors from a tax perspective, better for investors from 
from a fee perspective. And, and, and why would we do that? Well, because we can manage a lot of assets. So there, there's still a, a, a ton of motivation for us in, in, in doing it really good for investors because they need it really good, whether it's retail or institutional retail needs it more because they don't have access to these type of solutions. So yeah. there's, there's just a well, lot Darren, of logic. You get to have your cake and eat it too, right? Cause you get to help the little guy, but then you also have a vehicle that scales up to past, you know, billions of dollars. So yeah, it, you know, maybe I shouldn't have ascribed all those good motives to you helping the little guy. It's also, it, maybe it's just the most efficient way to wrap yeah. up this kind of a strategy. And, and it's scalable. The technology is highly scalable. We have a number of ticker symbols reserved to roll out new strategies and solutions. And, and, and really, at the end of the day, what when you look at the correlations to in these funds, I mean, ASPY has got a 0.3 correlation to the S&P 500. So extremely uncorrelated, more something similar to it. Z-SPY higher, but yeah, that's still really low. I mean, 0.3 is really low. And, that's... Like not, not, even, not even one. So you, you really have wonderful diversification tools to add to a portfolio that are, are, are liquid and, and transparent. So, and then we had our own transparency in addition to, to what the fund transparency offers. So it's, it's just, it's, it's really, it is a virtuous solution, but it works. If, if it didn't work, nothing would matter. I, I mean, so it, it produces asymmetric returns, these the smart categories. And, and the one thing I can guarantee you, we're always gonna be, we're not gonna work every day, week, month, quarter, even every year, nothing does. But overall, in time, that 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 our our my my what I've learned and what I've experienced is that in the investment race, truly slow and steady wins, and and winning is is very clear. You 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 have a bigger pot of of of, of accumulated wealth at the end when you've won from an investing perspective. You can't hide from that. You know, it's 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 like you can make up a lot of excuses, but at the end of the day, if you've won and done well, you you've actually amassed more wealth with with less risk, or you've amassed more wealth. Let's even put that aside. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, the the track record, you know, the, the, these funds launched in 2020 or 2021 or, you know, now they've gone through some ups and some downs. I think the tra- at the end of the day, the track record speaks for itself, no matter what we say on this podcast episode. Right. People can look them up. So that being said, Darren, where can our audience of family offices, high net worth investors, institutional investors go to learn more? About these ETFs, I know you mentioned you have two or three websites. I'll I'll try let's to simplify. Let's let, let yeah. me let me simplify. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so um, to learn more about the ETFs, ASIM shares. So A S Y M shares S H A R E S dot com. Uh, you'll see the ETFs on the side more. A spy, Z spy. Uh, you can find more information there. Then to look at the indexes that they follow, go to asimsolutions.com. dot com. And then you'll be able to find more information on the indexes and look at the historical results and and, uh, get a good idea of of where they would fit in your portfolio. And then if you want to have a conversation with me, please pick up the phone, dial 212-755-1970. Love to speak to you in in person, answer any questions that you have and and dig deeper into these solutions because they work. They do what they're supposed to do and, and that makes them really unique. And listeners, I can tell you, I've talked with Darren a lot, you know, the past month or two, had several conversations with him. He's a super nice guy, very approachable guy. So so don't be shy if you want to learn more about these strategies. Don't be shy to get in touch. And Darren, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on the show today, sharing your knowledge. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Really love being here. Thanks for your time. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review to help spread the word to other investors. 
and we'll be back soon with another episode.